Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I am joined tonight by Brad and we are going to do a faculty meeting. So Brad, say hello to everyone. Let them hear your voice. Hey everybody, how you doing? So we're going to do a faculty meeting tonight. Uh, a couple hodgepodge things we want to talk about. Uh, but before we get too far into that, we always like to take a moment to talk about why we're here. The goal with these faculty meetings is that at some point in the conversation that Brad and I are about to have, there will be something, some nugget of wisdom that you can pull out and maybe apply to your game at, at home. But we understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Brad, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your friends are having fun, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, is there anything new and exciting in Brad's life that we want to chat about for a moment? Like Sort of like an extracurricular from detention. Is there anything just top of mind, exciting that you want to talk about? It, it's crazy um, in my life right now. We're, we're completing this move thing that's been going on freaking forever. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and there's Mandalorian, which is, you know, awesome. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. How about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, so you and I actually recorded an episode that's going to go into the vault where we were supposed to talk about some stuff, but we ended up talking about Mandalorian for like 40 minutes, which was great. It was a lot it was of fun. It was a great 40 minutes. I really enjoyed that conversation. The problem <laughs> is that you and Tom are doing a Mandalorian episode by episode breakdown, and we just sort of stepped all over that because we did like all the episodes up till now. So we're going to have to hold on to that one for a while before we release it so that we don't, again, step on those toes. So definitely, if you're a patron, be be listening for that. Those are very cool episodes. And then at some point in the future, I will release the uh, the conversation you and I had because I also really like that show and I like talking about it. Mm. I'm also a really big fan of Watchmen, which it currently is on. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go watch it. I think that might be the best show on TV right now. It's incredible. So would you say that you watch The Watchmen? I do, in fact, watch The Watchmen. I am the one who watches The Watchmen, the Watchmen. Uh, and it's it's such a really good show. I'm just it's hard to I, I want to talk about it in depth, but if you don't know what's going on, then it's not going to make any sense because it's a very dense show. It just jumps in on the deep end if and you got to keep up, uh, but it's amazingly well done. So big big fan of that. Well, I'll throw it on a stack of shows that I have to watch. Yeah, and again, there's only nine episodes. It's a, mm -hmm. it's like a mini series. I think tonight is episode seven. Uh, so, oh, wow, you won't have a whole lot to catch up on. But there's a, the big thing we want to talk about tonight is our gamer shelf of shame, and these are games that we have, uh, maybe we've had for a while, and for whatever reason we can't get them to the table or haven't been able to get them to the table. But there is one thing I want to talk about first. This because this is just top of mind. Saw this on Twitter the other day, and it's one of these things that just kind of frustrates me. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but someone, and I don't, I really don't know who, I'm not trying to be like coy, I don't know who it is, had tweeted something about wanting to play a D&D &D 5e game where everyone played the same class. And a person responded who is a well-known DM. They have podcasts and YouTube channels and very successful and, uh, you know, put our little show pitifully to shame and basically decried that and said, I would never want to run a D&D &D 5e game 
of all the same class. Not that you can't do it, but they they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't want to do it. But there was some implied because the game isn't designed for that. And I want to call bullcrap. I think a five class or four class all the same absolutely could work in 5e. If you're focused on the role play aspect, I don't, I mean, maybe that's just me, but I, I don't see how it would bother anyone if you're all four playing rogues. Like, is it really going to bother you that someone else is backstabbing when you're wanting to backstab? Or you just, or would you be more concerned about winning the fight and getting on to the next part of the story? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm approaching it from a Michael standpoint, but to me, I just thought that was frankly dumb. Um, no, I haven't seen that. I was wondering where your tweet about that came out from. Um, I was like, oh, okay. I must have missed something, but um, <laughs> yeah. No, you absolutely can. I mean, the the 5th edition pretty much took the ideal party, you know, of fighter, thief, mage, cleric, and chucked that out the window. It doesn't require it anymore. The rules um, have changed significantly with use of healing and healing surge, or not healing surges, but, uh, you know, you have your hit dice. You don't really, you don't have to have that cleric or that healer like you used to have to in, in previous editions because there's ways to get around it. It's certainly helpful. No, absolutely. And the thing is, it's going to change the way the game works, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a fundamental breaking of the contract the DM has between the players. If there's four fighters, then I'm probably going to play a game that has a lot more fighting in it than I normally do. If it's four rogues, probably a lot more heist-like stuff in it than Mm -hmm. I normally would do. If it's four wizards, there's probably going to be a lot more magical traps and uh, you know investigation and research aspects i'm i'm not going to just pick up and run a game off the shelf for four of the same class and and maybe that's what they were implying and i read into it but i just wanted to get on on air that yes absolutely if you want to play five bards do it it'll be awesome it'll be a great time and if you all die, it'll still be a great time until you get to no, that point. No, no. 5e bards are the best class in the game. You're, you're going to rock it. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Uh-huh. So with that out of the way, we are going to jump into our Gamer Shelf of Shame segment. Uh, so Brad and I both came to the table with, uh, a t- I guess, a top three, maybe bottom three. I don't know how you'd want to rate this, of board games and RPGs that are on that, again, quote unquote, shelf of shame. So I'm going to start with you first, Brad. Uh, we're going to go three, two, one. What is your third board game that's currently on your shelf of shame that you want to get to the table and can't? Well, I have nowhere near the number of board games that you do because you, no are, the, one should. you are the keeper of the library um, for a catacomb. But uh, the I guess that number three game on there is Talisman. Uh, I played Talisman once. I enjoyed it. I have like three expansions for it. Never played them. <laughs> and it's like, man, I really had to, you know, try to play this game. Um, I've heard great things about it. My, our friends that have played it. I mean, they literally have like a cedar chest that the game lives in with all of the expansions. Apparently there's that many and we just never get time to play it or can never make the dice arrive to play the game. So I am actually not familiar with that game. So what's what's the elevator pitch for Talesman? Uh my understanding of it is that you are 
adventures um going off to adventure adventure i played it once like (laughs) five years ago actually (laughs) probably six or seven years ago no it was before kids yeah it was before kids so it was definitely five or six years ago recall that's terrible i should i should know the things (laughs) that are on my shelf uh but no you 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 have a class and a character and you go you collect treasure adventure and there's some elements of pvp potentially yeah moving on <laughs> so is like is it a board game is it oh, a it's totally a board game? game no it's a board game okay um it, it's a large board game it has uh like miniatures that have come with it um not like something don't think like zombicide think more like board game like monopoly you know okay. what i mean like you have squares that you move along gotcha you move along the perimeter and it has like or cocker it has like some kind of market elements to it or whatnot and i do apologize to all the talisman players out there that i'm horribly butchering your favorite game well, well again but it, but it maybe could be your favorite you just never get to play it but you want mm-hmm. to so you know right the, yeah the, the desire is there mm-hmm. so i have a three and a 3.5 for myself Uh-oh. so my number three i wanted to put root mm-hmm. because i've heard so many wonderful things about root from the people who have played it just tell me that it's such an amazing game and I know at the last uh, faculty retreat, it was like one of the highlights. Multiple people played it. They had a blast. So I got a copy for a Catacon this year, and I've never played it. But I've only had my copy for like four weeks. Mm. So it's kind of hard to say that it's on my shelf of shame. It's not, it's just not really had a chance to come off there. But it is probably probably one of the top games I want to play I haven't got to. But my actual number three is Takedo. Are you familiar with this game? No. This is a game that I saw on the uh, Will Wheaton show Tabletop, uh, which is, I bought a lot of games because of that show. And it sounded just such a different type of game. So the way it was explained on that show is you play a traveler through the countryside of Japan, and the winner is whoever has the best time. So there's places, there's parts where you like stop and paint paintings, I believe. And there's mechanics. Basically, if you're the first person to do an activity, you have the greater chance of getting more points for that activity. So there's like painting a picture. There's eating it at nice restaurants. And it's just, it's like you're on vacation through the countryside of Japan. And at the end of the game, I had the best experience. So I win. It sounds really cool. When I watched that episode, it seemed like the game made a lot of sense. You know, it's just one of those things where as someone's explaining, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm super intimidated. Every time I've gotten that game off the shelf, I'm like, I don't I don't know how to run this. I don't know how to play this. I don't know what I'm doing. The rules don't make any sense. And I don't really have anyone to play that game with and, you know, at home uh, with the family. So it's something I just, I need someone who actually knows how to play that game to play it with me to begin with, which most of my games are that way, but I want to play it. So that my, my number three is Takedo. All right. So Brad, what is your number two board game on your shelf of shame? Oh, okay. Um, so the number two that I had on my list is actually a game I do not own. I misunderstood the rules of this. Uh, well, no, a no, bit. that's fine. You, you, yeah. Uh, it would be who goes there because oh. Rocky has played it like a, 30 times at a catacomb and um i was really looking forward to play it but i at the uh at the meet and greet 
but I gave up my spot to a couple, you know, of the uh, special special guests that arrived. So um, I, I wasn't able to play it, and I, you know, but I watched them play, and it looked like it was a ton of fun. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity when we have the uh, faculty retreat to give it a shot. Uh, yeah, so so a little bit of a spoiler. That's my number one. So oh. I'll just go ahead and jump there. So my number one is who goes there. Um, again, anyone who's listened to a lot of our shows probably has already heard me talk about how John Carpenter's The Thing is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it absolutely informs how I run RPGs. Uh, if you've watched that movie, you probably know half of my story plot. So Who Goes There is a short story, I guess, that the movie was based off of. Because there's, there's another game I have played called The Thing Outpost 31. Uh, which is very much based off the Thing movie. Uh, it was It's a social deduction game, again, where somebody might end up being uh, infected with the Thing. and So it's, it's very similar to the movie. Who Goes There is also very similar to the movie, but it's based on the story that the movie's based off of. And according to Rocky, who's played both, it's much better. I also wanted to play it at the meet and greet, but having hosting duties, I could not commit to a game that lasts generally <laughs> four hours. Understood. It is absolutely on my list to play at the faculty retreat because I don't have those obligations and uh, I definitely want to play it there. So I'm very much looking forward to who goes there. And again, it's a, it's a, I don't know if social deduction is actually the right, I don't think that's the right term for it. It's a game where it's cooperative because no one starts off infected. And as the game goes on, it's more and more likely someone does become infected, but there's no guarantee it's possible to go the entire game and no one ever become infected. The end of the game, you want to get on the helicopter and get to safety. And if you are the thing, you want to be on the helicopter when it leaves. If you're the humans, you don't want anyone infected on the helicopter for you to win. So, you know, again, it's one of those things where I may not be able to survive without keeping Brad's character in the game because I'm going to die, but you might be infected and I don't know that. And again, I don't know much more than that because I've not played it, but the way Rocky was explaining it, it's very uh, in-depth and it makes a lot of sense and it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of that sort of anguish that comes with those types of games where you have to make decisions without complete information. Okay, cool. All right. So then uh, I guess your number one board game on your shelf of shame. The number one board game on my shelf of shame is Firefly. Okay. so I. I almost played this with you once. Like, I think we started it and then like yeah. two hours in, we're like, okay, we don't have time for this. No, no, it is. Yeah. It's a fantastic game. Um, I love Firefly, the yeah. series and the movie and, you know, pretty much anything related to it. But uh, the board game is really good. Um, it does a really good job of capturing the feel you start out with your own ship um and you 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 know you, you select a captain for your ship you know from amongst the various options and you go around and you recruit crew um you pull off jobs to achieve whatever the scenario goal that you're playing is some of it is just to be you know the richest person uh, there's a variety of different goals that, that you can accomplish um throughout it and, and whoever accomplishes all of the goals first um, wins. Uh, it, inc- it incorporates things like reavers and reaver attacks. They can randomly attack throughout the galaxy, it, or, or I guess the system. It's it's really cool. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun, and I just never get to play it. 
Yeah, I too am a very big fan of Firefly TV show and the movie and some of the comics around it. Yeah, I just, I mm-hmm. absolutely love it. So again, we we really did try to play it once in, in my house and we started setting it up. But it, but it is a game that takes several hours, right, to, to play it all the way through. Yeah. The box says it takes an hour and a half and there's just no way in hell that it takes an hour and a half. That is a lie. It is a lie. It's 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 like it's, it's exactly like the uh, the Battlestar Galactica game. There's no way that you can play that in anything short of three days. <laughs> so so Firefly definitely would be something I would like to try again. Uh, again, maybe at the faculty retreat, uh, we shall see. Yeah, I'll bring it with me. So my number two for me would be Visitor. Are you familiar with this game? Perhaps is that the one where you all have cards and you make up different rules and yes okay um so anyone who's watched stranger things or et or the explorers uh, i'm also a big fan of those types of movies uh, generally lumped together in a kids on bikes sort of genre Mm. and visitor is similar to that in theme the idea is that an alien has crash landed on earth and there is a kid as well as some agents, and it depends on the number of players. There's like uh, FBI, FBI, DEA, CIA. There's like several different government agencies that arrive. And the player who plays the alien, there is a force field that surrounds their ship. And the players, and the, and the that player has to make up some sort of rule. And there are guidelines to the rule, but it could be things like organic red circular uh cylinder cylindrical i guess i should say and the play other players show cards of various things there's like a whole bunch of just cards in the game it's like of a truck and a shoe and a teddy bear and the alien just to tell tells people what goes through the force field and what doesn't and the idea is that you're trying to deduce what the rule is like you know the apple went through but the fire truck didn't. So it's not red. Is it circular? Is it organic? Is it food? Whatever the case may be. You're just basically trying to race to figure out who can discover the rule first. And there are certain other elements to like, sometimes you can see what other people have tried and failed. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can try multiple cards to, to get a better idea. So there, there's some rules again that I've never played it. So I don't know all of them exactly. But I like that idea of being able to sit down and just, you know, just trying to figure figure out, okay, what's going through, what's not. It's going to be different every time because that element, the rule of what goes through and what's not is made up each time. Uh, and it sounds like a, it's like a light game. You know, this isn't a three hour long uh, game or a slog. It seems like it'd be something pretty quick. But it's, it again, I've, I've broken it out a couple times. I've looked at the rule book and the way it was described you play seemed very simple. But the rule book makes it seem overly complicated, uh, which goes back to Michael wants someone to be a guide. I, w- I want someone to guide me through this experience the first time before I play it on my own. Uh, but again, this is something that probably will make it to the faculty retreat early next year. Uh, we'll see if it gets to the table then or not. Yeah, that definitely. I remember it was either you or Rocky were I was standing next to at Gen Con as we were watching that game being played in somewhere in the vendor hall. I can't remember which one of you it was, but they were, you guys were, it must have been Rocky. I think he was like simply just like enthralled with it. Like he stood for like 45 minutes and watched this game in, in the vendor hall and was like trying to learn all the rules. And, and, 
are like, okay, I got to go, Rocky. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely was Rocky. Mm-hmm. All right. And again, I'm looking over at my shelf now. There's there are several other games that easily could have been on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are three in particular, I guess in my case, four, that uh, that I'm excited to get to the table soon and get, get to playing. But we also have role-playing games. And these are also uh, games that we want to play. Maybe we have once or twice, but haven't had a campaign. Or maybe we have and we've never got to the table at all. So again, we have our quote-unquote top three. So Brad, what is your third Gamer Shelf of Shame RPG? Star Trek. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I, and this, so I have I have two versions of it. The one is the one, the first one is... um. I don't know the books were over there and it's I can't I don't, I don't remember which edition it was but I've always wanted to play a Star Trek RPG I used to play for I played for 10 years on a, a play by post forum oh wow like every day and I mean that I mean it was more of a writing site than then you know there weren't there were rules and points and advancement and stuff like that but there weren't you know there weren't dice rolls gotcha so I would love to play in a Star Trek RPG, but I think that is one of those games that you, in particularly, you have to have the right group. Yeah, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways you could say that really about any RPG, but I do agree that that type of game, everyone has to be on board for that type of story because Star Trek generally are not your action-packed adventures. They're more dramatic and maybe even melodramatic, and there's you know, that morally ambiguous prime directive. Do we let this planet explode? We could save everyone, but we're not supposed to do that. But uh, one of them's green with two belly buttons. So what the hell? Let's do it. Right. Yeah. And I, I picked up the Star Trek uh, starter set, the one that came out this most recent Gen Con, uh, again, mostly for a catacon because I wanted to make it available. But I would love to also play. I don't think I want to run that game, though. No, I, I tried to run a Star Trek campaign one time for my home group and man it's really hard when you have individuals that just don't want to take orders from the or, captain or, or the captain yeah. who happens to be their order sibling um you know, know those two people, the yeah. people move on uh yeah. but definitely if i were to play it, it would be more galaxy quest than uh by grath bar's hammer we tried that i mean i yeah, uh, it did not get past that first session. I mean, <laughs> starting out, it's like, okay, this is, and it was going to be more, it wasn't even a standard Star Trek. I, I was, I was ripping off heavily from uh, the Star Trek Away Team game, computer game. And, you know, this is going to be much more of a, of a D&D style game mm-hmm. um, than a, uh, you know, a standard Star Trek game. And it, boy, did it crash and burn hard. So you definitely need the right player base for that. I would be happy to be a player, probably for a one shot. I don't mm-hmm. don't think I would sign up for a campaign. But uh, if you can get a couple other people together, I will. I will be the ensign who actually listens to the captain. Yep. How about you? What's your number three? What's your third slot? Yeah, my number three is going to be Invisible Sun. Oh. So this is uh, the Monty Cook Games RPG. They came out after Cypher System. It's got some similarities, I think. It was a big to-do when it first came out. There was some pushback because it's 
kind of an expensive game, especially with the Kickstarter. It was like two fifty to three hundred dollars, I think, for the whole set. Mm-hmm. Though again, I've argued if you break down what you pay for other RPGs over time, it's really not any more expensive than like I've spent more on D and D books for Fifth Edition than I paid when I got the Invisible Sun Kickstarter. But again, it's one of these games that's really weird. It's kind of esoteric, I guess, and it's intimidating to to want to get into. Uh, but I think I'm going to do it soon on a patron game. I might run a one shot of it uh, just to see how, how it goes. And again, if I screw those up, they're more about just hanging out than anything. Anyways, I would love to play in one with someone that knows what they're doing, but it definitely is intriguing. And I will give Money Cook Games credit. The quality of their books and their components are absolutely top notch. The, the Black Cube is gorgeous. Nice. Yeah, I remember seeing that come through, and it looked really cool. Yeah, I did an unboxing of my Kickstarter because I got the the more recent one, so it, the video is not great. But if you want to want to see me go through it, uh, you can do that on our YouTube page. All right. So, what is your second RPG on your gamer shelf of shame? The second on my gamer shelf of shame is uh, Shadowrun, uh, both th- both fourth and fifth edition. Not not sixth, the new one, or is the new one fifth? New one is six, but I okay. haven't bought anything from six yet because I <laughs> bought a bunch of stuff for fourth and for fifth and have not yet played fourth or fifth. Fair, fair. Makes sense. Yeah. So I played a ton of third edition Shadowrun. Um, one of the groups I had, that was the game we played um, for years. Um, and even early on, it was honestly, it was probably Shadowrun might have been the second game that I played. First being second edition D and you know second edition D and D, and then I think third edition Shadowrun right after that. So we played a ton of that, and the group never progressed past the third edition rules because they had them all, and they didn't want to buy any more books. So um, when fourth edition came out, I you know I bought a bunch of that. It's like all right, we're gonna do it, guys. I'm gonna do it, and um, no one ever showed up. <laughs> so now, so again, for anyone who is uninitiated what's the elevator pitch for Shadowrun? you are playing in a dystopian future um there's mega corporations magic has returned to the world one day people woke up as elves dwarves trolls um etc uh there are now magic users there's uh think like a blade runner with magic okay is, is a good way to look at it um you know you got flying cars drones all that you know and you're playing someone who's a shadow runner, and generally you do things like corporate espionage or whatnot. Um, the games when we played them were pretty much uh, Call of Cthulhu, because we always fought the bad, nasty things. You know, we never really did any of the real, you know, like classic cyberpunk stuff. It was always more of the sciencey, fantasy stuff. Okay. So. Um, yeah, and this is a. Um... It's a game that uses a butt ton of D6s. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely need to bring your metric ton of uh, dice. Uh, however, upper, newer editions have seriously toned that down, if, I re- if I'm reading them correctly. My understanding is you never roll more than four dice. Oh, okay. In the, in the new editions, which... It's, it's also a very deadly system. I, I believe I played it once with you, and I'm pretty sure I died the first session. Oh. We, we went into like a like a dairy mart like a convenience store 
and me not knowing how the game works when in guns a blazing. And I, I don't think I made it out of that. Did I? I didn't. Ru- I didn't run that. I, did I? I thought you did. I thought we played a one shot. Uh, I definitely played run? it with you. But I thought you were the GM. Maybe you were also a player. No, I think I was a player. I don't ever remember running Shadowrun for. This was pre podcasting, right? Yeah, I think this was this is when we were playing with your cousins that that game. So, I, oh I, yeah, maybe, no, no, maybe Joe, it was Joe, one of them. Who, Joe ran who, that. Yeah. Okay, I don't think that was me. That makes more sense. Uh, so yeah, so interesting. All right, uh, so my number two is Mouse Guard. Hmm. So again, Mouse Guard, you play anthropomorphic mice, and again, I don't know that the game actually reflects it, but I am a big fan of that cartoon. I think it came out in the 80s, The Secret of Nim, Mm -hmm. where you had those uh, mice and rats who were experimented on and became basically, you know, sentient or sapient. And I don't know, I just, I really like that aspect. I believe the Mouse Guard RPG I think you play paper, rock, scissors for conflict resolution. I believe that's what I've heard. Mm -hmm. So it's much more about role playing and, you know, dealing with the, you're a small mouse in a big world. How are you going to survive? And it just, it sounds like a very cool game that I would love to get involved in and just, you know, run around trying to not get eaten by ravens and, you know, trying to avoid, because I don't, I don't even know if the game has humans. I don't know if there's like an element of, the Littles, that cartoon I watched when I was a kid where you just don't mm-hmm. want the people to find you or if it's just you're dealing with nature. But I don't know. I think I think it'd be cool. It's been on my shelf for a long time and I've never got to play it. Cool. Yeah. Um, I know it seems to be pretty popular from, from you know what I've seen in other places. People seem to like it. Uh, it's been ran at uh, a catacomb for the last two or three years, mm-hmm. only one or two sessions, and it always fills up like a day one. So it, it must be something just because it's not offered a lot. There's a lot of people who want to play it. And there's also a board game. Yeah. And I don't exactly know where the two overlap because it seems like they're somewhat interchangeable, but not obviously exactly. So anyone who's listening who knows Mouse Guard very well, please enlighten me because I don't know. Okay. All right. And then lastly, what is your number one RPG on your gamer shelf of shame? Iron Kingdoms. Iron Kingdoms. All right, lay it on me. What is this? Iron Kingdoms is Full Metal Fantasy. That's the game's tagline, is Full Metal Fantasy. So it is a massive, beautiful world. Um, The book's like 400-something pages, and like two-thirds of it are fluff about the world. High level, you have a bunch of different nations, and um, they really all hate each other and are constantly at war. And uh, magic is you humans have only recently kind of got magic. It tends to be rather deadly when it's used. Uh, there's these giant mech robot things called steam jacks that these people who uh, can form mental bonds with them called or who are called warcasters control. And there's people who channel magic through firearms and all kinds of just bonkers fun stuff. It's the, if you haven't had it, they also, so it's put out by Privateer Press, um, and it follows along with their um, War Machines miniature game. The world is, it has a ton of lore to it. It, It's very well written. Uh, The novels for Iron Kingdoms or, you know, for that line, there's a 
bunch of them and they're they're really good i highly recommend reading them reading some of them if you're into you know kind of steampunk or or things along that line um maybe even somewhat darker fantasy i guess you could say um but it's a it's a it's a fun game um i've only gotten to play it once or twice and i would love to run it but uh my players just won't read and it's one of those games like um at least from my opinion like uh, uh legend of the five rings that you need to read about the world to really kind of em- embrace it and um, to run with it. Gotcha. Now, how do the how do the mechanics on this work? Is it like D and D a D twenty game? Or? Nope, it's a two D six. Uses the same really uses the same system as their miniatures game does. You know, you break out the uh, you could do it on a grid, but they recommend you use miniatures and use rollers on a tabletop, just like you do with the tabletop game. Um, you can also do it, you know, theater of the mind style, but they, the rules recommend you use miniatures for it, I guess, because Privateer Press wants to sell more miniatures, but, oh, yeah. um, yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's fun. It's super deadly though. Don't get shot because it's really bad for you. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I played Boot Hill once. Did you ever play that game? No, I haven't. So it was a TSR, uh, old mm-hmm. Wild West game. And same thing, I didn't know what I was doing. And like like 10 minutes into the game, I decided to ambush, like, I don't know, it was like Wyatt Earp or something, just just being stupid. There was three of us, uh, and we all died <laughs> like yeah. really really quickly. Uh, nice. I have a habit of, if, you, if I'll play a game with a gun, I'd probably die really quickly. <sighs> but my number one is a game I got to play once. Actually, that's not true. I've played it more than once, but I haven't played it that often. And it's Hollow Earth Expedition. Or oh, Hats. really? Yeah. Because, it, you know you know me, I love Eberron. I love pulp noir stories. Like, that's mm-hmm. a big, again, genre that I'm in love with. And here's a game that is designed specifically for those types of adventures. And it's also the sort of the sci-fi thing where you have literally the Hollow Earth. You have Nazi robots. And, like, I love that also B-level action science fiction movie stuff. It's a game and genre I probably should love. I'm not a huge fan of the, I think it's Ubiquity system. It's not a bad system. It's just not like my favorite. But it's not like that's the reason I I don't play it. I just, I've never, I've never got around to it. We were supposed to do a, we did a, actually we did a trial of it Mm -hmm. with Angela from Fandible. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, We were supposed to do a one shot with Ryan running it and life got in the way. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually going to be my next Patreon game when we get back to doing those now that the holidays are over. I'm going to run a one-shot of Hex for the patrons. So Nice. Uh, hopefully it won't be too much longer before I do, in fact, get it to the table. Well, that'll be cool. All righty. So there, that is our current gamer shelf of shame. Hopefully, within a few months, that shelf will change. Maybe some things fall off. Maybe some new things get added. Uh, any Final words from you before we close the book on this shelf of shame. I think that we are, are very fortunate in a way that we're in this. W- there are so many great games out there that, you know, that we just don't have the opportunity to play. I mean, that that we're we're in an era where there is such good game design and people are making these games that, you know, we're, we're really fortunate. And so, you know, find somebody, grab a game and play it. Absolutely. Um Hopefully you have people you can play with so that you don't have this this problem. But if you do, 
Uh, we would love to hear from you, whether you find us on Twitter, on Facebook, or comment on this episode specifically. Give us your top three. What are the three games, both RPGs and board games, that you are dying to play but have not got to or don't get to as much as you would want? Um, and if you come to a Catacon or Gen Con or Origins or Faculty Retreat, anywhere you see us, maybe we can help you fix that. All right, so the next thing we're going to do, we're actually going to introduce a new segment we're going to start doing on these faculty meetings some of the time, probably once a month or so. It's our DM Spotlight. And Justice Arvin is a DMs Guild writer. He's also, he does a lot of things. I don't remember everything. I don't want to say it wrong, so I'm just going to say he does a lot of things. And once a month, he's going to give us a spotlight on either a specific product or maybe a specific writer for things that you can get from the DMs Guild that would be worth your time and your money. So take it away, Justice. Hey there, gamers. My name is Justice Arman. I'm a DMs Guild writer, Beetle and Grimm's Viking, and the host of this new short DMs Guild Spotlight segment on the RPG Academy. While there's not going to be a quiz at the end of this segment, there's certainly a recommended reading list. Each month, I'm going to be highlighting some of my favorite products on the Dungeon Masters Guild, Adventurers, subclasses, guides, potions, poisons, swords, you name it. If you're not already familiar with the Dungeon Masters Guild, or the DMs Guild as all the cool kids say it, it's a third-party publishing site owned by Wizards of the Coast. For a percentage of the royalties, the DMs Guild lets you make money selling 5th edition products that use the Wizards of the Coast IP. That means anything in the Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, Ravnica, or Eberron. Chris Lindsay, the head Adventurers League DM and product marketing specialist for Wizards of the Coast, manages a program called the Guild Adepts. It's composed of best-selling DMs Guild writers like Ashley Warren, James Intracasso, and M.T. Black, who have now written for official Wizards of the Coast hardcovers. So for the spotlight itself, I'm going to give you a quick high-level summary of the product and how it can be used in your games. As I touch on its major sections, I'll give some thoughts on the writing, namely mechanics and fluff. I'll then talk about the presentation, mainly art, layout, and cartography, if that's applicable. And then lastly, I'll take a look at a specific element of the book that I enjoyed, such as a stat block, a bit of lore, or ability. Today's spotlight is going to be Hedge's Herbal Handbook. It is by Oliver Clegg. Um, right off the bat, what's interesting about this is that it's a phone PDF. Um, so as Oliver so lovingly points out, you can actually read this on the toilet. Uh, what's really nice about it is you can also read it on your phone at the table. So if you're a player, you could look at this uh, if your DM allows you to. Or as a DM, if you have other things on there uh, on your DM setup, it's just easier to break this out on your phone, take a quick look at it, uh, reference the herb or alchemy, and then put your phone away, uh, which is pretty nice. So a summary of what the product is, uh, it's basically a breakdown of different herbs, so things like roots, flowers, weeds that you can put in your game um, with DCs to locate them, harvest them, a little bit of lore about each one and how they can be used in your game, uh, as in mechanical effects. And then there's also different alchemies, so things like inks, ointments, and oils that can be used and uh, created from the actual herbs that are in the first part of this product. So, as we jump into mechanics, um, one thing that I really like about this is it doesn't give you some huge, robust system. 
for locating these, doesn't bog you down with extra mechanics. It's very in line with 5e. It gives you something simple that's easy to digest, which is no pun intended, uh, and it's consistent. So I'm taking a look right now at the Sunset Rose, um, which is one of the herbs you can find in the book. Uh, basically, at the top of each of these herbs, there is a difficulty class, a DC, to locate it. There is a DC to harvest it. Uh, and then it tells you the biome or biomes that you can find such an herb. Uh, it also tells you an intake method. So things such as blood contact, ingesting it, um, rubbing it on your skin, and then it gives you a little snippet about each one and then the mechanics. So a character can apply a single use of this herb to their weapon as an action. So it's kind of like a poison that you would put on your blade, uh, like in the poisoner's kit uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, there's also different alchemies. So they use the herbs that are in the earlier section of the book. So we have Hartholhorn. Um, lots of these are a lot of fun to say. Uh, it tells you required tool, which is almost always alchemist supplies, uh, a DC to create, uh, basically using the alchemist supplies, how to create this object, this ink, this ointment. Um, and then it tells you a preparation time, which can range um, from as little as maybe an hour to 30 days or longer. Uh, and then it tells you different ingredients. So to make hartholhorn, you need hoofleaf and hartholthorn, um, the, uh, the, the root, I guess, that it uses originally. Um, it also tells you a cost for the uh, substance itself and what form it takes, similar to, to how you had the herbs that could be, uh, you know, rubbed into the skin, ingested, drank, that sort of thing. And then just like in the er earlier section, um, you get a quick lore snippet um, talking about what it is and then the mechanics for it um, that are different formatting so you don't get confused as you read it. And then each one of these uh, has a little... Um, lore snippet, something that's usually like a sticky note on there from Hedge um, that's usually humorous. Um, a lot of these are are pretty funny. If you're familiar with Oliver, he's uh, got an incredible sense of humor and it always comes out in his products. Um, but on this one, you'll probably find yourself laughing as you read through it. Um, so as we go into the fluff, um, the fluff is flavorful, it's quick, it's easy to read aloud. Um, I could see one of my players succeeding on a nature check to learn about one of these herbs and then just reading that one to two sentence line, if they roll high enough, that gives them information about how this can be used, where it can be found, without having to bog them down with the mechanics that I need uh, to run the object. And then uh, next we have the presentation. Um, as I mentioned before, it's a phone PDF, which is really cool. Um, you can bring it up on your smartphone, you know, on your iPod, on your... I just... I sound 90 years old. I'm an iPhone. Uh, or on your Android and just swipe through each one of these. Um, it's also bookmarked um, so that you can find things a little bit easier. So yeah, so the presentation is consistent. I think the artwork is really colorful and nice. There is artwork on, it looks like, every single one of these uh, alchemies and uh, different herbs in here. Um, they really pop on the page, and when you're looking at your phone, you don't have a lot of space to work with. So you're not looking at super, super detailed pieces where you're wanting to zoom in on different parts. It's usually something like a bottle or a thorn or something like that. Um, and then one fun thing, I mean, uh, I've got a page open right here. I can read you one of these alchemies that's in the book. This one is called Armor Bright. 
Um, it takes a DC-20 to create with Alchemist supplies. It takes four hours to make, and it uses salamander skin as the primary ingredient. It costs 100 gold pieces, and it takes an armor oil form. It says, Popular in deserts and wastes, Armor Bright helps reflect heat away from users of heavy armor. Um, so a character can apply Armor Bright to a suit of medium or heavy armor during a long rest. And for the next 24 hours, that character cannot gain exhaustion from heat and gains resistance to fire damage. Uh, and then a little snippet next to this really cool uh, looking uh, kind of hourglass bottle, it says, Have you ever tried to skin a salamander? It's far easier if they're dead. And I learned that the hard way. So that's cool. It's a nice little snippet. It's flavorful. It's quick. It really takes less than a minute to read most of these. Um, and it gives you everything you need to use. So all in all, I think that uh, this product is great. I think you should definitely check it out. Um, it is on the DMs Guild now. You can get it for $9.99, which honestly, for the vast material you get in this and how often you could use this in your games, I think it's a steal. Um, so you should definitely check it out. And that was today's Spotlight. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And we look forward to hearing next month as well what you have in the DM Spotlight. So that's basically going to wrap things up for us here tonight. I want to thank um, Targris. Uh, he's the one who asked the question that kind of was a, we, I asked for a Patreon question because we're going to, we have been doing those on the end of our, these episodes, but it was such a good question that we decided to make the entire episode out of it. Uh, so thank you, Targris, for the question. And I just want to remind everybody, we do have a Patreon because we're a podcast and that's what you do. And we are giving away a copy of the Eberron source book to one of our patrons. We have a new show type called The Review, and we did our review of Eberron. That will be the show that comes out after this one. And we review the Eberron sourcebook, and we mention in that episode, uh, anyone who is a patron of ours for the month of December. So basically as of January 1st, if you are an active and, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? current, I guess, active current patron, you'll be entered into a random drawing to win a copy of the Eberron source book from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, so look for that episode to come out soon. And then our next review episode is going to be the Cypher, the revised Cypher System rulebook. All right. So that's it for me, Brad Ian. Any last words before we wrap things up completely? No, no. Um, <laughs> take care, everybody, and have a good one. Absolutely. I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving now that we're mm -hmm. past that. If if Christmas is a thing you celebrate, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season or a holiday season or just just a December to remember. All right. So with that, we will say goodbye. And remember, if you're having fun. You're doing it right. Thanks and bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, 
you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.